Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. The first church I attended after I came to Faith in Christ uh, was a little Baptist church and just down the road um, in Birchwood. And I was a part of that church for many years, and I still have very fond memories of my time there. But um, in my early 20s, I heard something in a sermon that kind of sounded strange to me. Uh, pastor Bob, he was the senior pastor there, uh, he was preaching on the qualifications of deacons and elders, um, you know, leaders of the church. And the text he was preaching from was 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, ver- and I'm just going to read uh, verses 2 and 3. And... Uh, I'm going to read this from the ESV, which is not the translation we normally use here, uh, but it's a translation that this passage is a little closer to the older version of the NIV, which was, you know, back then because that was the older version of the NIV. Um, so, uh, and that's what Pastor Bob used. So, let me read this to you. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And, and, and as he was preaching, uh, Bob used this uh, passage to explain why women could not be deacons or elders. And the logic he used was that women cannot be husbands. And um, they can especially not be the husband of one wife, um, therefore, women cannot be in church leadership. And I heard this, and I said, well, that doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, <clears throat> that's, that, that just sounds like a reach. Um, and because all of those other qualifications seem to be about character, right? And any believer can grow in character, right? We can learn to be more temperate. We can develop self-control. We can learn to teach. We can cultivate generosity, Right? And even if you've been unfaithful to your spouse, you can come, come repentant and renew your commitment. Um, and so it makes sense. You're right? faithfulness to a spouse. Yeah, that, that can be a characteristic. That's something that somebody can grow in as they mature in their faith. But no matter how faithful a Christian woman is, they will not, you know, because of the maturity in Christ, grow into being a man. Um, that just that just doesn't happen, and uh, and because that's so different from all the other characteristics, um, just from a rhetorical standpoint, that just seemed off to me. Um, so now, luckily, Pastor Bob was an old school preacher, um, and he'd regularly say, "Don't take my word for it." He'd say it like that, "Don't take my word for it. <laughs> Read it in Scripture for yourself." And so, after the sermon, I told him I didn't find that argument convincing at all, <laughs> and. Uh, <clears throat> And he graciously, he graciously listened to my disagreement. Um, and he, we made an appointment so he can, can try to convince me of his interpretation. And so we met, and he didn't convince me. Um, actually, the opposite happened. The more he explained to me his reasoning, the more I disagreed with what he was saying. <clears throat> and, uh, and that really began me rethinking, or maybe even thinking for the first time, about the role of women in ministry. Because it wasn't even... They weren't the rat. Women were not in ministry, so I never really had to think about it. And so being told that women couldn't be made me actually think about it. 
And, and this is what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. It's just a little mini-series on the role of women in ministry before we move into the Advent series. And we're going to talk about this just because it's come up in a couple conversations I've had. And I was like, well, this is just a good time to like visit this topic, talk about it, talk about it. Um, because one of the covenant's convictions is that women and men are both empowered, gifted, and maybe called into service in ministry at all levels, without exception. And so I thought, well, maybe I should do this series. Um, but I wanted to like make sure I was doing this in a good heart. I didn't want to be like, you know, like, oh, somebody said something that just made me mad and I wanted to preach on it. I wanted to make sure I was doing it in a loving heart, in a good posture. Um, and, I, and I think I am. And I thought about asking Pastor Christie and uh, some other uh, local women um, pastors to just to share during the series. But then I thought, that was just exhausting for women. You know, can you please stand in front of us and tell us why you're qualified to be there? Um, yeah, it just, it just didn't sound right. Um, and so this is one of our things, though, right? Women should be able to pre preach. They shouldn't have to justify themselves. And uh, so every, every covenant pastor should be able to do this. So I thought I would give it a shot. Um, and so uh, just to give you a roadmap for the next three weeks, this week is just kind of my intro. I'll kind of look at women in the Old Testament, mostly Genesis, but we'll go around some other places too. And next week we'll look at the New Testament. And then the last week we're going to deal with some of the whatabouts. You know, like, well, what about 1 Timothy 2? Um, and what about household codes and, and all of that? And I'll be sharing parts of my story along the way about how God worked on my heart and convinced me that women were just as called and gifted as men. Like I said, because I wasn't naturally there, I never even thought about it. Um, and it wasn't until, like, I was told that they couldn't that I actually thought about it. Now, to start the series, I want to say a couple things. I loved Pastor Bob. Um, he passed away about eight years ago, and he is someone I greatly respected. And we can love people that we disagree with, um, even on somewhat thorny theological issues. And number two, Pastor Bob taught me to love Scripture. He was a faithful student of God's world, word. And, and good people, they can study and they can pray, and they can still have disagreement about how to interpret the Bible. And three, I served at Birchwood Baptist for years, even after I questioned like their interpretation on, on, on the position of women. And they knew that. And we can still partner and we can still work in ministry, even through disagreement. And last, um, Pastor Bob, he invested in me when I was just an awkward and rowdy punk. <laughs> like, really. Like, every time I kind of deal with, like, teenagers or deal with, like, you know, problems in the church, I'm like, well, at least it, I was worse. <laughs> like, I, I've still not yet run across anybody that was worse than me. Um, so, and he dealt with me. Um, and he would take an interest in me, and he would meet with me regularly to discuss scripture, and, you know, he'd just check in on me. And we can honor, we can respect, and we can hold in high esteem people that we sincerely disagree with. You know, and I pray, I pray that I am half the minister of the gospel that Pastor Bob was. Like, he, man, like, you know, my heart, I love Bob. So, let's get into it. Um, and I want to start with looking at the creation stories in Genesis, because... Because it's Genesis. It's where we start. It's how we were made. It's what we were made for. So with that, let's read uh, Genesis chapter 1, starting at verses 26 to 31. Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, to every bird in the heavens, and to everything that creeps on earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. It was very good. From this passage, from the beginning, we hear that women are created in the image of God. Right? They're not a distorted image. Right? They're not a broken image of God. But in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right? All people, regardless of race, gender, cultural background, and other physiological, cultural, social background, they're made in God's image. No person is a distorted image of God. Right? People are made in the image of God. Now that image can be distorted, it can be broken. Right? But it can also be healed and restored. But no person has made that. We're made in God's image. And from the moment that we were created, we were created equal. Of course there are differences in the genders, right? He created each gender. Men and women, he created them. Men and women are created differently. But each had been made fully in God's image. And they were both created for the same purpose. Right? Right in Genesis there. Women and men were created to exercise God's rule over creation. God tells both men and women to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. This is not a charge that man can do on his own, right? Men cannot be fruitful and fill the earth without women. They just can't do it. Likewise, neither can women. Both genders working together are the only ways that God can fulfill his purposes in creation. And there's no hierarchy in that rule, right? So, in Genesis 1, both are fully called to serve together. Now, Genesis 2 is where there starts to be some, some differences, some, some, some disagreements. And it's the second account of creation. And I want to start at verse 18, Genesis 2. The Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the skies, and to all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place of flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, in this account, woman is made as a helper suitable for man. Now, unfortunately, uh, the English language, it 
there are different kind of shades of meaning, right? There's connotations to the words, even though that's not exactly what it means. And so when we hear the word helper, we think of an assistant, right? Um, of, of like a junior partner. Um, and, and, you know, right, the junior partner, normally they kind of do the things that the senior partner doesn't do so they can make sure the job's really done. But that's not what's meant in the passage, right? The word helper um, is, is ezer. That, that's the word. And it means somebody that comes alongside to complete something. And it doesn't mean an assistant. If anything, it means a partner, like someone who joins so that the task can be completed. When God helps the people of Israel, especially in military victories, God is often described as Ezer to Israel, right? As the helper to Israel, right? It's, it's almost like more like an enabler, someone that makes something happen. Because the victory could not be done without God. And, and even Moses, Moses, he names his son Eliezer, which means God is my Ezer. Okay? There's nothing subordinate about that word. And so what's really meant is that man could not do the job that he was created to do. He couldn't do it on his own. He wasn't up to it. So God created someone from his side so that together that they were empowered to do what could not be done by themselves. Uh, many people that believe that women cannot be in leadership, they, they will often use Genesis 2 um, to show that, that women are in a subordinate role to men because they're created after man. But I believe that misinterprets the passage. If anything, uh, the woman was created because man was inadequate. <laughs> um, really. <laughs> um, and men and women, they were both created for God's good purposes in this world. And those purposes, this includes serving in ministry. In the book of Exodus, um, which we just spent 13 weeks going over, Moses gave the Israelites instructions on um, how to God, God was to be worshipped, including on the tabernacle and the priestly duties. You know, in the tabernacle, if you remember, that's the place where God's spirit lives amongst the people. And I want to um, draw your attention to one specific verse that's easily missed. And this is from the construction of the tabernacle, right? The, right, the portable structure that served as like a portable temple for the Spirit of God. This is Exodus 38, 8. They made the bronze basin and its bronze stands for the mirror of the women who served at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. The women had priestly duties. They had some sort of duties. Now, I looked at lots of commentaries. I don't know what those were. <laughs> There, there were some things, and I, they had some like archaeological like, like pictures of like the the mirrors, the bronze mirrors. But they had some sort of job. I don't know exactly what the job was, but it was a job for the people to serve and um, at the tabernacle. And it's not a one-time thing. The women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting are also mentioned in First Samuel two, um, four hundred and fifty years later. Okay, so they did that job for a long time. Okay, it's an ongoing ministry that only women can do. And, and that is a public place. Okay, this is not a private place, right? This is a place where people stood as Joshua divided up the promised land to the various tribes and families. This is where the altar of burnt sacrifices was. This is where the Spirit of God rested as a pillar of clouds. That's where women served. In that sacred space, there is a place for women to exercise some sort of function, I don't, like I said, I don't know, I don't think, so nothing I read 
knew exactly what that function was, but they had a job to do. And it was in the presence of all the people, not just the women, not just the women and kids, but men too. And women didn't just serve in this area. In 2 Chronicles 35-25, in Ezra uh, 2-65, and Nehemiah 7-67, women were counted among the singers who led music and wrote songs of worship and lament. Okay, so they were given jobs. Right? They, they led us in worship. In the book of Judges, we have the example of Deborah, probably the best of the judges, uh, certainly the most godly, because really, if you look at the judges, it's kind of a list of them just going worse and worse and worse. Um, but not Deborah or Deborah. I know I hear both. But anyways, um, but she ruled over Israel as a judge. And even before that, she served faithfully as a prophet. In Second Kings, we have the example like that I learned about from Christy because I always just kind of glossed over it. But Christy wrote, pointed out um, the prophet Huldah, whose prophecies led the boy king Josiah to turn to God in repentance and lead all of Judah in the renewal of their covenant with God. Her prophecies convinced him to remove all the idols from the temple and to cleanse the country of the false gods that they followed. And of course, there's Miriam as well, Moses' sister, who's described as a prophet. And she wrote one of the, the oldest parts of the Bible, Scripture. Um, the song where Pharaoh and his uh, armies were being destroyed in the Red Sea. Her and Moses wrote that. Women have always had an important part in the ministry of Israel. Because all people were made in God's image for God's purposes. To steward and exercise God's rule in creation. Right? Women and men. And God uses everybody, right? God used Sarah, right? An old barren woman to give life to a people that would be a blessing to all people. God used Rahab, a foreign-born prostitute, to win a military victory that would establish Israel's first victory as they moved into their promised land. God used Esther, a teenage beauty queen, to get involved in the politics of the most powerful country in the world in order to save Israel. God uses women for all sorts of purposes, and that includes in leadership, in leadership roles. Because women are created in the image of God. And so we, this is something we need to hear. We need to be reminded. Women, you need to hear. You need to be reminded that you are part of God's plan. Right? Women, you need to know that. You are part of God's plan and God can and will use you to serve Him. In a variety of ways. And that just might be serving in pastoral leadership. Right? The president of our denomination right now is a woman. That's the first time having that happen. You know, that's exciting. But women, you need to hear that. You can be called by God. Men, you need to hear that. We need to humble our hearts to be able to learn from godly women that God has put into our lives. Okay? And I think most people that have grown up around the church know some godly women. Right? Even if they didn't have the title. I mean, they're godly women. <laughs> Uh, maybe next week I'll tell you about Miss Joan, Pastor Bob's wife. Um, and yeah, that is a godly woman. Her prayers can move mountains. Um, she's one of those ladies sometimes. Okay, this sounds bad. But um, in seminary, I started calling them. Um, the, now this is going to sound bad. But, um, <laughs> but I, I, I called them uh, gray-haired heretics. Um, <laughs> because they, they, they grew up. And like Because I'm like, oh, that's not theologically right. And they might have some beliefs that, like, that I would say, like, no, oh, that's not right. But whose faith just moves mountains like it's like god just really likes them <laughs> and um and and that's miss joan boy she said some things every once in a while that like i'm like oh that's not right at all miss joan but 
boy, when she prayed, things happened. <laughs> and, uh, and she's still alive. Um, but um, her faith, uh, man, Miss Joan. Poof, I can tell you stories. But uh, anyways, but there's people like that, right? Um, men, learn from them. Learn from them. Learn from the women. Um, because we're all in this together. And the task is too big, right? The job is too big. We can't do it on our own. Men, like, it, you know, we're do working one hand tied behind our back if we don't let women rule and to, to do their work. We need women. So, we're going to continue on. We're going to talk about the New Testament and uh, women then there next week. Well, let me close in prayer. Holy Father, you are good. And Lord, we thank you that you've made us all in your image. That we all have a task in your kingdom. That we've all been called. And Lord, we pray that we can live into the jobs you've called us to do. Whatever that may be. Lord, we pray for the humility to say yes. And Lord, we pray for open hearts, Lord, so that we can learn how to receive um, from those that, that we might not normally have received from. In your name I pray. Amen.